Howdy and welcome to Wise About Texas, your award-winning Texas history podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise. I want to thank you for tuning in for a little Texas history today. This is the first episode of 2020. It's January 2020, so welcome to the 20s, everybody. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday season and having a happy new year so far. 2020 will be the year that we'll celebrate five years of podcasting Texas history. That'll be in November, so I'm coming up with something special for that. And uh, I don't know what it's going to be yet, and uh, certainly open to your suggestions, but I want to do something good for the fifth year anniversary. Hard to believe it's been five years. This has been a ton of fun. I really enjoy doing it, and I hope to keep doing it for a long time into the future. Uh, Speaking of Texas history activities, I do have a little announcement for all of you loyal listeners. Uh, I've got the greatest listeners of any podcast going, I guarantee you, because I hear from so many of you so often. I really appreciate it. Uh, The announcement is this. I have been uh, hired by Houston Baptist University as an adjunct professor, and I'm teaching what uh, is described as a special topics government class. The title of the class is The People and Politics Through Texas History. So it's going to be an interesting class. I've created it from uh, out of nothing, and so the the class will be uh, we're going to use Texas history as a timeline, and uh, we're going to pull from the events and stories of Texas history, the interesting personalities, the government forces, the issues, the political issues, and culture and government law issues that uh, have been faced throughout Texas history that many of which we still face. Uh, Those issues have shaped us into the state that we are. And uh, there are plenty of issues, as you've learned through this podcast, that occurred in the earliest days of Texas that are still issues that we struggle with today. So that should be a a hopefully interesting class. And uh, we'll be using a little bit of the podcast in the class. And um, I've been working on the lectures throughout, planning the lectures for the spring, and have got some new podcast ideas from that. So Uh, Stay tuned for a report on that. Um, It should be an interesting experience. One of the things that uh, we're going to study in that class early, of course, by necessity, is the Spanish exploration into Texas and the Spanish mission and presidio system in Texas. We're also going to talk a lot about the first Texans, which, of course, were various Indian tribes throughout the state and their interaction with the Spanish and how all that was created, the idea behind it, and the evolution of it, and eventually, of course, the Mission Presidio system did not work out as the Spanish had hoped. But during that period of time, very early in the 17th century, there was a very interesting story involving the Humano Indians and some Spanish priests from New Mexico, and that's present-day New Mexico, but back then when they were just exploring, it was all uh, the country in the north and would later become part of the Republic of Texas. Anyway, one day, a group of about 50 Humano Indians showed up at a mission asking to learn about Christianity and showing some rudimentary knowledge. Well, the Franciscan priests were very excited, of course, and that's not necessarily an unusual scene. But when they asked the Indians what motivated them to come seek out the priests, they were told a story that seemed strange, but perhaps plausible. What they didn't know 
was that the exact same story was being told at the exact same time, half a world away. The Humano Indians were, uh, and they go by many different names. There's, there's something in Texas history called the Humano Problem. And the problem is that the Humanos were referred to, um, they were not an easily identifiable isolated tribe. They were referred to by many different names. And historians disagree as to whether this group or that group were actually part of the same Humano Indians when you use the word. Humano, if that's clear as mud, but uh, just the basics. They lived sort of between the Upper Colorado River and the Pecos, Lower Pecos River, along the Concho River. Uh, so I would call that Central West Texas. It puts them a little bit north of Big Bend, and they ranged um, pretty far west. They were encountered as far west as the Rio Grande, and they were thought to be, they would hunt buffalo. Uh, they would do some farming. They, they would uh, engage in some somewhat sophisticated cooking, and not all Indian tribes would do that. But one of the most uh, distinctive features of the Humano was they would serve as trade brokers between the Pueblo Indians in New Mexico and the eastern tribes in Texas, uh, the Caddo, which actually is a word that captures three different tribes. Uh, the Caddo were fairly sophisticated. The Pueblos were fairly sophisticated. And it's thought that the Humanos were were trade brokers. So that would make the Humanos uh, fairly sophisticated in terms of business. I would also speculate probably that they served as guides through that uh, vast territory between eastern Texas and eastern New Mexico, which would have been necessary if you've ever traveled out there. I know in the last couple episodes we've talked about Big Ben. You better know where the water is if you're going to go through that Humano territory. So they would definitely serve as guides. When the Spanish decided to try to Christianize the Indians in this northern frontier, they set up an extensive mission system. Um, Now, listeners of this podcast uh, are probably a little more sophisticated in their Texas history knowledge and can name several of the missions in Texas, the common ones that are easiest to talk about are in San Antonio because five of them remain, including the Alamo. And uh, But there were missions all over Texas and New Mexico. And the Franciscan priests would travel. The mission presidio system I mentioned in the introduction usually consisted of a mission run by the priests who would try to teach the Indians farming and uh, Christianity, basically. And then the presidio would be somewhere nearby and would house soldiers for the protection, in theory, of the mission. And so uh, these missions started popping up all over uh, Texas and New Mexico. And one of the missions in New Mexico was called San Antonio de Isleta. And it was um, south of present-day Albuquerque, New Mexico. And some of the Indians that these priests were familiar with were Humano Indians. One day in the year 1629, about 50 Humano Indians show up at Isleta, and they told the priests that they were interested in learning about Christianity. They showed some knowledge of Christianity, even though these priests were unaware that they had ever interacted with these Humanos. And the priest said, well, tried to communicate with them and determine how they knew what they knew. 
and the Indian said that there had been a lady that had visited them. And the way the Indians described it was that the lady had come to them as, quote, a light at sunset, close quote, and that she had been wearing a blue cloak. And she had told these Indians to go to New Mexico, or what is now New Mexico, and seek out the priests for religious instruction. Well, that story in and of itself would have gotten the Franciscan priests, who were very zealous evangelists, excited. But this story was made doubly mysterious to them because they had just received a letter. The letter was written from the Bishop of Mexico, Francisco Zuniga, to the priest that was in charge of the efforts in New, in New Mexico, who was named Alonzo de Benavides. And this letter told a fascinating story of a nun in Spain whose birth name was Maria Fernandez Coronel. Maria was born in 1602 in Agreda, Spain. Once again, i got to say, forgive my Spanish pronunciation, not very good. Agreda, Spain. She was born to two very devout Catholic parents. They were also very intense. For example, her mother would sit and meditate in front of a human skull. Her father, they lived in a, in a castle. They were well-to-do. And uh, her father would occasionally walk all night through the halls of the castle carrying a 100-pound cross. So their basic belief was that suffering was the key to going to heaven. Well, Maria became a nun. I'm not, sur- I'm not sure she had a chance to do anything else but become a nun with those parents, but when she turned 18, she became a nun. Uh, The order she joined was called the Conceptionist Order, and it was a subordinate order to the Franciscan Order of Priests, which who, of course, were the um, evangelists operating in the northern frontier of New Spain. And the Conceptionist nuns wore uh, a white habit with a blue cloak. So some of the features of the daily life of a conceptionist nun, uh, Maria would uh, sleep only about two hours a night on a hard surface. Uh, she, was, she was eating only enough to keep herself alive, and uh, she didn't like the garments she was given. She wanted coarser garments so that she would be more uncomfortable, I guess, get to heaven faster or get a better seat or whatever. Um, but beginning about, she lived in a convent, And beginning about 1620, she would lapse into these deep trances in the convent. And she claimed to have dreams where she would travel to a distant, unknown land and preach the gospel to a group of pagans. And what she claimed was that she had traveled to New Spain preaching to the Humano Indians. She confessed all this to a priest in Spain named Sebastian Marcia, and he wrote to the Bishop of Mexico that letter that I was, or a letter uh, to Bishop Zuniga, who then wrote the letter I referred to, to Father Benavidez. So back to the 50 Humanos. They come in claiming this lady in blue had preached to them. These priests had just seen this letter that had come from Spain, where this nun, who dressed in blue, had claimed to have ministered to the pagans. And so another priest named Juan Salas went out from the mission to meet with the Humano Indians. 
he runs into a large band of Humanos. The Humanos welcome him. They say, we knew you were coming, and we knew you were coming because the woman in blue who appears as a light at sunset told them, told the Indians, that the priest was coming. Reportedly, there were 2,000 Indians waiting, Humanos, waiting to be baptized. Well, as you can imagine, this got everybody's attention. So Father Benavidez goes from New Mexico to Mexico City, reports on the events, and travels on to Spain because he's got to meet this sister Maria. So he conducted what amounted to an inquisition. Sister Maria was told to kneel at the communion rail where she she knelt for three hours while Father Benavidez questioned her. The head of the Franciscans ordered her to tell Father Benavidez everything. Benavidez had never met Sister Maria, of course. Uh, Sister Maria had never been outside of Spain. So he questioned her, and in his report, he reported that as a result of his questioning, he found out she knew uh, a Captain Tuerto who was in New Mexico. Uh, Captain Tuerto had lost an eye. She described that to the priest. She gave him all the signs of the Humano Indians, whom she had presumably never seen before. Um, And she claimed to have sent the Indians to Father Benavidez. Now, she later admitted that she may have exaggerated or misunderstood the questioning. Um, She claimed maybe it was my imagination or maybe that God had shown her things abstractly. But at the end of the day, said she just was incapable of understanding how that happened. One historian speculates that since she lived on the verge of starvation, perhaps uh, we'd call it anorexia today, that she was having visions. But if she was, why were they so specific? And how did she gain that knowledge? Others, of course, would insist that she had actually experienced a mysterious bilocation, being in two places at once, and should be a saint. Because after all, isn't that a more fun thing to believe than she was just hallucinating? Well, she became a celebrity in Spain. Uh, She had extensive correspondence with the Spanish king, King Philip IV. She wrote a book called The Mystical City of God, and uh, she eventually passed away in 1665. But here's something interesting. Her body was exhumed in 1909 and was found by the church to be incorrupt. In other words, it had not decomposed. They actually laid her body in a glass coffin in a convent in a great Spain. Two other interesting aspects to this story. One, Stephen Harrigan in his new book, Big Wonderful Thing, reports that she may have actually provided the Humanos with a recipe for chili that they transmitted to the Spanish. And if she did so, I hope it was on Texas soil. So what really happened with Sister Maria? Well, perhaps we'll never know, but her legend certainly will likely live forever. Did she mysteriously bilocate across the Atlantic Ocean thousands of miles away to minister to the Humano Indians? Or was she just suffering from hallucinations brought on by her very difficult life in the convent? I certainly don't know, but I do know this. Her story was being told in the exact same way 
at the exact same time, halfway around the world. I'll leave you with this little tidbit from the, some of the Humano Indians that she visited. They said that after her last visit, when they woke up in the morning, their fields were covered with flowers of a deep blue color, just like her cloak. Perhaps those were Texas blue bonnets. Well, now we come to the part of the episode called Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places I mentioned in the episode. You're going to have to do a little traveling for this one. If you want to see the Lady in Blue's final resting place, you're going to have to go to Spain. So I'm going to refer you to a website, Maria de Agreda. That's M-A-R-I-A-D-E-A-G-R-E-D-A dot org. That is the website of the Franciscan Conceptionist Monastery where the Lady in Blue's body rests and you can find out how to get there next time you're in Spain. If you want to travel the trails of the Humano Indians, anywhere uh, in West Texas between the Pecos and the Colorado would be a good place to remember the Humanos. And if you want to see uh, the old missions, which I highly, highly recommend to get a real good flavor of mission life, I like Mission San Jose in San Antonio. The walls have been reconstructed. They've got a great museum and you can go inside the walls and get a real good feel for what it must have been like to live in the mission and why those missions were such a benefit if you were trying to hide from warring Indian tribes, which of course in Texas many were. New Mexico also has a mission trail called the Salt Missions Scenic Byway. And if you go to www.newmexico.org, you can see the uh, Salt Missions Trail Scenic Byway, and it's a uh, it's east of Albuquerque, and runs uh, sort of north south in a loop. And you can go see some of the old missions in New Mexico, present day New Mexico, which would have been the Mexican frontier where these humanos came to encounter the Franciscan priests. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Wise About Texas. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope everyone has a very successful. 2020. I've got tons of podcast ideas. I'm going to do my very level best to uh, not let there be any large gaps between episodes. That's always a challenge. Keep sending your suggestions in to uh, host at wiseabouttexas.com. Find us on the Wise About Texas Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wiseabouttexas. And if you want to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wise about texas where you can do that very thing thanks again for listening i hope you'll go out and do something for texas today and until next time god bless texas and we'll see you down the road